0: are few things that unsettle us as much as financial struggles. Our joy and peace are so strongly linked to our financial security. That's why God gave us over 800 passages on money in the Bible. This is Treasure, a four-part series on how to get the financial life God intends for you.
1: in a series called treasure. We are on part three of treasure. And this series is built on four passages that teach us four biblical principles of our finances. And so far we've covered a couple of them. The first principle that we covered was this principle of devotion. And I believe something is true. Jesus agreed with it. He taught it in a sermon on the Mount where he said, I paraphrase, this is my way of saying it, money is the greatest competitor for our devotion to God. He said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is going to be. Last week, we looked at the second principle, and it's the principle of giving. And the simple idea was this. You don't wait until your heart changes and wants to give, because that will never happen. But you give to change your hearts, and then your hearts change. Today, we're going to look at the principle of stressed and strapped. Yeah. Here's the problem. Most of us, many of us, actually just way too many of us, would use those words to describe our financial lives. And uh, the good news for you is that I know what it feels like. Been there, done that. My wife and I can share personally our testimony a little bit with what we've experienced. More than 10 years ago, we were at least $86,000 in debt, and that does not count the house we were living in, that we had a mortgage on. And if you think, well, that may not be that much money. Because for some of you, $86,000 is not a lot of money. Some of you bought a car that's at least two-thirds of that. So you think, well, that's just a car and a birth of a kid. Or that's two cars and a vacation. That's not that much money. Well, it is a lot of money. Let me put it into perspective for you. Whatever you make, whatever your annual household income is, that was about three years for us. So do the math. What you and your spouse make, all of your jobs, everything put together almost triple it, and that's how much we were in debt. So we could have gotten out of debt in three years if we had agreed never to eat, (laughs) to not need electricity, to run from the government by not paying our taxes, to not pay a mortgage payment. You get where I'm going with this. That was an overwhelming amount of money, and trying to figure out how to get out of that, because at the time, I was a teacher. I went from being a teacher to being a pastor, It wasn't the overwhelming size of the paycheck that did anything with that, just so you know. So whatever reasons you are facing financial things, I want you to go ahead and begin to set some of those aside as we talk about this. So the point, though, is, and and just so you know that I have the right to share what I'm sharing this morning, my wife and I are not there today. No longer there. The only thing we own now is our mortgage, and we're working very diligently on that. And so that gives us a little bit of credibility to stand up and share with you some incredibly practical things from the Bible about how to not stay there, how to get out of the hole that you might be in. And before I go any further, I want to say this. When I do these messages and I say, look, today I'm just going to line out a couple of really practical steps. People are like, oh, man, here we go. You know, it's not even spiritual. It's just practical stuff. One, two, three, just do this stuff. I want you to understand something I believe, and it under underpins the way that I preach. What you do practically is only an outflow of who you are spiritually. So even though this is practical steps, this is one of the most spiritual things I'm going to preach. If you come to me and say that you have a problem with Internet porn, I'm not going to look at you and say, well, you have a practical problem of clicking on the wrong. I'm going to tell you, you have a spiritual problem of, and you get my point. So where we are financially and the solutions, these may be incredibly simple, practical steps, but it is deeply, deeply spiritual. And so today we're going to look at multiple scriptures as we go throughout this. You're not going to be able to flip and keep up, but you will be able to take notes, which I highly recommend, wise way to get out of this. If you're not taking notes, it tells me you're either already debt free or you don't care. But anyway, that's just for free. Um, So we are going to start, though, with our primary passage, which sets the entire foundation for the message. And it also tells you what God's. Uh, expectation is for you and what you can expect for yourself. And it comes out of Proverbs 21 that says precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Okay. Precious treasure and oil. Look at the word oil for a minute. Some of you are going, well, that's just weird. Who cares about that? I just came back from Israel and I got to study what they actually did in dealing with olive oil and how they pressed it multiple times to get multiple different types of oil out it to use it for different things. For our sake, we need to simply reword this as precious treasure and money, because that's what it meant to them. You used your oil for cooking. It was half of your grocery budget. You used your oil for lighting all of the lamps in your house. It was your entire electric bill. And then if nothing else you used your oil to sell it to somebody who didn't have oil to get everything else you needed. So the way that we should read this passage is, is that precious treasure and money are in a wise man's dwelling. Now follow this. The Bible repeatedly refers to people of wisdom, and a wise man is someone who is living according to God's ways, someone who is following after God and chasing him with all their heart. So I want to start off with making sure we get one thing straight today. It is not godly to be poor. It's not godly to be poor. I'm not promising you you deserve a Mercedes, but this idea we have in our world, they're looking going, oh, look at that guy. He is driving a Mercedes in the church parking lot. He ain't he? No, look, you got something wrong. It has developed in the church. I mean, I've grown up in the church my whole life, and there is something about this idea. Yep, you know, we don't, we, what, I don't know where it even comes from, but Christians are broke. And I guess we feel good about ourselves. We're like, yep, that's because I just, I give it all away or I don't sacrifice myself for my job or I'm too busy, you know, not chasing after material things. And, you know, I think how most every Christian I know who says they're not chasing after material things, if I doubled their income, they'd go trade their car. <laughs> they would. But I do want you to know this. It is not God's intent. This is God's word that says in a wise man's dwelling, a man who lives after my ways and puts my principles into place, he has treasure and he has financial resources in his dwelling. It is not God's intent for you to be poor and to be broke, and that is enough. We're going to go on with that. So here's what I think. If we want to have treasure in our homes, we need to look at four words. Four incredibly simple, practical, yet deeply spiritual words. Number one, debt. You know the funny thing? First service had the same response. Nobody amen, that one. That's probably because some of us have too much experience with debt. We know what we're talking about. Proverbs 22 says this, though. It says, The rich over the poor, and the borrower is the slave. Now, I know we like to reinterpret and twist words sometimes, but that one's pretty clear, isn't it? The borrower is the slave of the lender, but not one of those who gives pledges, I'm sorry, be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay tomorrow like you thought you would, but turned out to be wrong, why should your bed be taken from under you? And you may think, "What? I- I'm not I'm not a slave, really." How many of you on Monday morning wish you could just sleep in? It's been a long weekend. The Colts lost. You're having a hard <laughs> time getting over it. Actually the truth is, I don't want to see that. I hate the pa- I'm sorry, the uh, the Patriots. I love the Packers. I hate the Patriots, so anyway, you're going to have to edit that from the message for the internet, aren't you? <laughs> I can try to back up and be spiritual again. So on Monday morning, you wish you could sleep in all of your teams lost. You had a miserable weekend. You worked long and hard, and you tried to paint the house, and the paint didn't, it didn't stick and everything. You just wish you could tune the world out, except the problem is you got to pay your mortgage, and you got to pay your car payment. So you've got to go to work on Monday morning. You become the slave because you don't have enough money saved up to just pay for the groceries. If you didn't go to work that day, it's the way that we are. We all live our lives typically as slaves, unfortunately. You see, here's what debt is. Debt, incredibly simply put, is spending money you don't have. That's it. We've all spent money we don't have. It is stealing from tomorrow to pay for yesterday. And I'm going to promise you a truth. You can try to defy it all day long. But as long as you keep stealing from tomorrow to pay for yesterday, you're broke today. You'll never be able to get away from that. It will be the cycle of your life. You will be more and more broke every day because you're paying for more and more yesterdays and you are running out of tomorrows. Every day that you live one, you've got one less. Just free information there. Here's the problem. We live in a culture that makes debt easy. We do not buy or spend based upon our income. How many of us, when we went and bought a house, the first thing we did is talk to a bank? We buy and we spend based upon this American concept called borrowing ratios. You go down to the car lot to get a car. They don't look at you and say how much money's in your savings account. They say, well, let's look at your credit report and your income and let's see how much you can afford. It's all about borrowing ratios. Our entire culture is based upon us spending money we don't actually have. Isn't that funny? Why are we surprised our nation is in the same boat? Anyway, that's a free political commentary. We need to do something about this. What it means is that we have to willingly choose not to live according to the ways of the culture, but according to the ways of the Bible. And when we talk about money, we find that shocking. Why do you find it shocking? To have a good marriage, you have to live according to the ways of the Bible, not according to the ways of the culture that says just be happy, kick them to the curb if you keep arguing with them. If you want to have good children, you have to raise them according to the ways of the Bible, not according to the ways of the world. If you want to have a good moral life, you have to be living according to the ways of of God's Word, not according to the ways of our culture. Anything that you want to succeed in life, you have got to say, my culture is not my guide, God's Word is. Why are we surprised that we've got to do it with money? And we've got to do it with money. We've got to stop living like our neighbors do, unless, of course, your neighbors go to church with you. Otherwise... That's the problem. Here's the issue. The issue with debt is simply one of self-control. The Bible talks about this thing called the fruits of the Spirit. If we have God's Spirit living within us, and if you follow Jesus, then you do, then His Spirit is in us, and there should be certain things that come out of us that display the fact that His Spirit is in us. We refer to this as the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, if you need to put that in your notes. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control is the ability to look at something and go, I don't got that kind of money. I can't see the baby gets it. I can't afford this. That's that's what you should say when they show you the price tag and the amortization schedule on that car. When you see the interest spelled out, that should be the response just so you know. I love babies. You're good. Keep them in here. That's fine. What was I talking about? <laughs> Self-control, self-control, there we go. Self-control, how about just focus? You see, what we do when we don't have self-control, we're displaying impatience that says, I have got to have it today. We're showing immaturity that says, I've got to have what I want, no matter what I'm going to hurt tomorrow. It says that our standard of living is not based on what God has already given us, but what we want, no matter what. And we're going to take it. We're not going to be content. Here's God's intent for us, for all of his people. He says this, the Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land and its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. That's God's intent for us. It's God's intent for us. The younger you are, the better you have a chance of, of, of putting this into play in a short period of time. Some of us, we've dug deeper holes. It's going to take a little bit longer. But this is where God intends for every one of us to go. To be the head, not the tail. To be able to look at our boss and say, what you're asking me to do, I can't do with a good conscience. Thank you. Have a nice day. Most of us go, I've got a problem. I've got to find a new job. But until I find a new job, I am stuck here in this ungodly place doing these ungodly things because I am broke and I am strapped and I am stressed and I can't afford to do the right thing. We find ourselves where we are the tail, constantly chasing after everything. Look, how many of us, when we sit down at a restaurant and they bring you the bill, you think, I would love to be generous. I'd love to tip this amount. Well, but you know, okay, I am going to tip less. Every one of our actions is driven by our bank account not by what we want to do. I bet if you could just stop the sermon for a minute and sit down and write what I would do, what I would like to do, the kind of person I would want to be if my finances were different. The answer, spend less than you make. The answer to debt, spend less than you make. You absolutely have to. You cannot spend it all now. The practice of borrowing to get what you want must end. And the practice of paying back what you owe must begin. And if you don't know the obvious, I'm going to go ahead and tell it to you. It's going to hurt. Because while you have decided not to get more of what you need and want today by taking it from tomorrow, you are still paying for yesterday today. And there's going to be a season that just absolutely hurts. And you have a choice when it comes to that self-control and that impatience and that immaturity, is that I'm going to let this cycle, 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 cycle and die someday and leave all of these bills to my kids? Or am I going to go through a season of pain and fix it? The answer leads us to point number two. Second word that we need to be comparing our lives to is the word budget. Budget. Y'all are not amening me on these things this morning. Just so you know, but that's all right. I got Jesus. Jesus got my back here because Jesus' words... <laughs> Jesus' words on this is pretty straightforward. Here's what Jesus said about a budget. He said, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Now, I know y'all look at that and go, I don't build a tower. I don't do that. What are you talking about? Oh, come on. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You go out and buy half of your Christmas presents, figure out you hadn't bought the other half, but you've already run out of money. So then comes Visa. Or those of you who are too holy to use Visa, praise God, there you go. All right. But you've used the debit card. Next thing you know, here it is Christmas Eve, and you're looking at the bank statement. (gasps) Honey, don't buy any more groceries till January 1st. We've spent it all already. There's none there. If we'd only used Visa, we'd be okay. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Famous quote, I believe that John Maxwell gets the credit for that, but anyway, it's used so often everybody's not really sure. Here's what a budget does it helps you increase your control. Now, that should be encouraging because we're all control freaks. It helps you increase your control of your money instead of having someone else control it because you don't know where it's going. When you have a budget, you're able to predict when your money's going to run out before it does. You ever been in that situation where, oops, didn't see that one coming? My wife and I have been in those situations. We Look, I can just tell you all, we were the epitome of immature, impatient, and just plain stupid. We actually were so broke that the visa bill was maxed out, and we were so frustrated with our poorness. <laughs> this was long, long ago, just so you know. But we were so frustrated with our poorness and our brokenness, we said, let's just go to the mall. <laughs> And you want to talk, you want to talk about not counting the cost of the tower? We almost couldn't get home because we didn't know how much gas we needed to get to the mall and back to just go window shopping. And the gas station didn't seem to care that our visa bill was maxed, our debit card was no good, and there was no change under the seats. And it wasn't even payday the next day. It's worse. Look, I'm telling you what, if anybody can preach on this stuff, it's us. Because we have done every one of these things worse than any one of you, I think. And if some of you can top it, please let me know. We'll get you on video for the next message. (laughs) Here's what's going to happen. If you're not budgeting, you are living and spending for the moment. Some of us, (laughs) so funny Our our phones, we just pull out our phones, and you can just log right into your bank account. I promise I watch people do this. I'm not going to name any names. But anyway, I watch people do this. They they pull out their phone and go, oh, the bank says it's there. I can spend it because it's a debit card. And they think, well, I'm doing what Dave Ramsey would want. I don't have a visa. It's in the bank. I'm good to go. Yeah, but tomorrow's bills come. And tomorrow you're going to want something. Oh, it's there. I can spend it. It's good. And we just keep doing this that we don't think about what actually needs to come. Here's the problem. When you spend and live for the moment, you are strapped and you are stressed and it gets old. I don't know of anything that wears on people more than money. I think number two is marriage, but I think number one is money because half of the marriage stuff I deal with is because they can't agree on the money. It just stays in front of us. You will always be strapped. You will always be stressed and it will catch up with you because you will run out of your own money. And when you do, you have one of two choices. You will increase your debt or you will need someone else's charity. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Tell you another silly story just because I know y'all don't do this. Y'all have never done this. But you get into Christmas and you figure out you didn't save enough for your kids' Christmas stuff. So you actually start doing the math. Well, we can spend this much because traditionally at Christmas... Our mom gives us this much money, and this guy gives us this much money. So we are spending our Christmas presents to buy the kids' Christmas presents, hoping that person is as generous this year as they were last year. You see, you will either increase your debt or depend upon someone else's charity, or even worse, someone else's pity. What's going to happen to you someday when your rich uncle either isn't rich or doesn't like you anymore? Christmas ain't so Christmassy anymore. On Christmas Day, you open it up and it's a card that says Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle, did you miss something? (laughs) How am I going to pay my visa bill? (laughs) Y'all wouldn't find it funny if y'all didn't know what I'm talking about. Third word. Third word is save. Look, this is simply about being prepared. Tomorrow will come. Statistically proven, tomorrow will come for most of us, almost all of us, I hope. All of us, I hope. (laughs) Let's (laughs) clarify that. All of us. (laughs) Well, it's going to be a fun message on the internet. (laughs) Proverbs says this, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. You see, the Bible was written at a time frame in history when most things were agricultural. You would trade what you grew and what you had for other things, and it became more commodity-based than paper money-based the way we have it today. So here's what this really meant. There's a season of time when you can work and you can reap because there will come a season of time where you will rest and play, and you can't change If you spend it on, there's there's no way to get any more. You cannot grow a plant that will sell for anything in winter or save your life. It's not going to happen, is what it was simply saying. And so if you are a wise son, you're going to go do this at the right time. This is our lives. You want to go play and rest on Saturday and Sunday or on vacation or on holidays? Then when it comes time to work, you've actually got to get in and work. And you've got to take some of that and set it aside for those days where you cannot work. Unless you do want to work seven days a week for the rest of your life with no vacation, you've got to learn to save. Saving is simply about preparing for both the known and the unknown. Look, I know the unknown is going to happen, but let me tell you what you know about the unknown is going to happen. Just because you can't put a title on it today doesn't mean you shouldn't be prepared for it. And then there are so many things that we actually do know. It surprises me how many of us are shipwrecked by things we can expect and even predict, even with a calendar. Here's a surprise for you. On December 25th, people are going to expect things that cost money from you. Your kids will have a birthday this year. They are going to expect things that will cost money. We can predict these things. Somehow it took my wife and I like a decade to figure this out. I don't know why. We're just not as bright as some of you. But anyway, we're hoping you're learning from our mistakes here. Here's the deal. Guess what's going to happen to you after you work really hard? You're going to want some time off. It's called vacation. No surprise. You're going to need money. Guess what's going to happen after you work long and hard for your entire life? You're going to want a lot of time off. It's called retirement. No surprise. It's going to take money. Guess what's going to happen to the new appliances you just bought? They're going to quit working and they're going to die. Probably before you, which is a good thing. But then, no surprise, you're going to need money. Guess what's going to happen to those kids you have? They're going to want that money today because they eat and they eat again and they eat again. I think my kids are hobbits and it has nothing to do with their, <laughs> to do with their size for all y'all pointing at me. They eat first breakfast and they eat second breakfast and they eat snack between the three breakfasts and then they eat lunch. They get home from from school. Mommy, I need to eat. We're going to eat in 10 minutes. It doesn't matter. I need to eat now. I won't last 10 minutes. My kids eat all day long. And they won't close, which is a good thing if you're ever going to take them out of the house. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. Those kids are going to cost money. No surprise. Guess what's going to happen in exactly two years and three months from now? I don't know. But I can promise you this. Something. And it's going to cost money. And you should have some. And you don't know if you're going to be healthy in two years. You're going to need that money. Which brings us to point number four. Last word, tithe. I didn't get any amens on that one either, did I? Tithe. I'm actually going to explain this a lot more in part four. Come back next week if you're one of those people who has a long list of objections and you have no understanding or wondering why in the world do we tithe. What is that all about? Seems like an old, stupid religious thing. I will explain every bit of that. You can come back next week. But I have to bring it in today because it's part of what we're talking about today. Because my wife and I did not get from being $86,000 in debt besides the mortgage on our own. We got there by putting all of these principles into place. Yes, we began to budget. Yes, we began to save. And yes, we began to eliminate debt. But we couldn't even do that on our own if it wasn't for God doing something on top of all of that. God bringing his favor into that. And God promises his favor and his blessing for our obedience in this way. You see, it comes out of Malachi 3 that says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you until there is no more need. Are you kidding me? Do you even focus on the last few words of that? God will pour and not stop. He will pour and he will pour and he will pour until there is no more need as long as we simply put him first. First. It's what he asked for. And look, some people, I want to just point on two things right now. There are two groups of people. There's a group of people who do not tithe, and they are broke, and that's kind of to be expected. It's what God described. The, the rest of that passage actually says, God, God says, but you are robbing me. And when you rob God, it does not go well. But then some of you are already, the wheels are spinning. Yeah, 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 wait a minute, Jimmy. No, no, no. First of all, we're doing pretty well. We don't tithe. What are you going to say about that? And then some of you who are broke and when I keep saying, well, you got to tithe. You go, but look at all these non-Christians. We're looking at my next door neighbor. Look at these people who are doing incredibly well and, and they're driving nice cars. They don't even tithe. Explain that one to me. I'm going to explain it to you. I can. I promise. It Starts like this. All of God's principles work. Did you know that? They all work. You cannot foil them. And you cannot trick God. They all work. When you put one of God's principles into place, it works. And so if somebody is using nine of God's principles and not one of them, then they're still 90% on the way to some kind of success. It's going to go well. It starts like this. Maybe this person who is now older and not tithing go all the way back to their school years. And the principle of obey your parents, honor authorities, obey the teachers. Therefore, when you went to school, they said, do your homework. Guess what you did? Your homework. And you did it well, because that's what you were supposed to do in order to honor God. You put God's principles into place. And so because you did really well in school, God poured out a reward on you. It's called a free ride to college. You figured out that that worked well. Okay, God's things work. And so you got a part-time job while you were in college for a little bit of spending money. And you put another one of God's principles into place that says, work as though you're working for God, not for man. So even if you think your boss is a jerk, you don't work for him. Even if you think you're underpaid, you don't fuss at your boss. You take it up with your provider, God. And so you work for God. So they work really hard because they're working for God. What do you think happens? They get promoted. What happens then? They start getting raises. Their paychecks start getting extra zeros. The next thing you know, yeah, they're doing pretty well. It's no surprise. They're using God's formula. That's the way this thing works. And even though you may be over here and broke, they may be right here and doing really well. Neither one of you is over here in God's intent. Because you can do well for yourself. You cannot do blessed for yourself. You have to be able to take what you can do, your best budgeting, your best saving, your best diligence, working really hard. And if you're not doing any of those things, you need to get to it. But you can take all of those things. And without God's formula, without this, I don't know what the quotient of multiplication is. We don't know. But somehow God takes this. He does some kind of little math. and Next thing, whoosh. You don't have the whoosh. It's not in your life. You're just missing that thing altogether. It's your choice, but it's God's formula. It's his formula. I want to encourage us. I want to close with this this idea here. I want to encourage you to look at these four words, compare them to your financial life, and ask yourself these questions. Do I have debt? Do I? Do I budget? Do I save? And do I tithe? And put those four principles into place and ask God to show up. Now, I told you before, we began planning for this series back in August, because back in August, we did a week of prayer and fasting like the one we just finished. And the two primary things that showed up over and over and over, people saying, please pray for me, please pray for me, please pray for me. It's funny, they're actually still about the same things this week as well, was money and marriage. And so in August, we started planning for the idea to kick off the year, helping you deal with the two biggest issues we face, which is money and marriage. And it wasn't just about this series. We wanted to give you something that you could take away and put into your lives as well going after that. So since our life group cycle starts just around the corner in about a week on February 1st, we wanted to go ahead and make sure there were some financial uh, life groups there available for you to go and be a part of this thing. We teach here what's called uh, Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey. If you've heard of Dave Ramsey, you're off to a good start. If not, what? You need to get to know Dave Ramsey. And you probably need to go to Financial Peace University. So we have lined up multiple groups on multiple days of the week to try to make every one of your objections obsolete, to do everything we can to afford the opportunity for you to be a part of this. So here, I want to help you decide on your life group in the upcoming cycle. Here you go. If the deed to your house is in a safe at home, if the title to every one of your cars is in a safe at home, If Visa does not send you a bill because they don't have your address, or MasterCard either, for those of you trying to be legalists. If you could lose your job tomorrow and still feed your family for a couple of months with no problem, you don't need to go to FPU. We'll have a basket weaving group on Tuesday night for people like you. (laughs) Everybody else, everybody else, I think it is time that we stop living broke and poor And thinking it's godly or that it's God's fault because it's not God's fault because God gave us his word God gave us people to teach these principles God gave us people like Dave Ramsey who has committed his entire life to helping people not be as broke as he once was you need to know his story lost millions totally bankrupt driving a car with seven or eight colors of Bondo the man knows what he's talking about and you have a choice you can keep living this way keep doing this thing Keep wishing that people like me would stop preaching on things like this, where you can get free and have the money to enjoy life. So, look, I want to challenge you to take your financial condition seriously. Few win the lottery, it's not a good place for your hope. I recommend putting your hope in God's principles. I think it's the only solution for a successful financial life. And I'm gonna close today by sharing one more wonderful story for you of a couple who did just that.
0: Back in 2008, God had called us to to begin to do some different things with ministry. Uh, He had uh, asked us and we had decided to step onto uh, our high school campuses in the city doing campus ministry and what we call Rush, Rush Campus Ministry. And part of that came with um, raising our own support, stepping away from a um, somewhat, not a great income, but a secure income uh, where I was working and uh, raise our own support. And uh, in the process of all this, uh, Jimmy talked about finances, just concepts of how to handle your finances in a, in a godly way. We, um, we didn't have a whole lot of debt. Uh, we had our cars paid off. So in, in many senses, we were very good, but in a lot of senses, we weren't because we we weren't communicating very well um, with our with our budget. We didn't budgeting was probably the worst thing in the world for us. We tried it several times, it just didn't work for us.
2: But during that sermon that Jimmy spoke about finances, God really impressed upon Ryan's heart that he was supposed to take leadership in that area of our lives. So that's when he really got a hold of it and really started leading our family.
0: Part of the idea is when um, when we were going to be asking people to give us money for ministry, I felt. I felt something in my heart, something like, uh, you know, now I really better start taking uh, care and, and ownership of our money because God's giving it to us. Well, you know, that was kind of silly because God always gives us our income, He gives us the ability to work. But for me, that was kind of the, the stepping over the threshold point of, okay, I'm going to take this serious finally. And so um, we read we read a book by Dave Ramsey uh, together, The Total Money Makeover, and we decided, okay, we're really going to. Um, we're really gonna actually do this together. We're gonna sit down, make a budget, track our expenses, and we're going to have the tough discussions about what we can and cannot spend, and uh, set some goals. But God actually gave me the idea to uh, pay off our mortgage. To me, it was kind of a crazy idea at first, because um, who does that, right? <laughs> we were in our uh, mid-20s at that point, and you know, we, we just, uh, I just, but I just felt this big impression from God that, you know, pay off your mortgage. I think God was telling me to ask big, like ask to do it in a short time frame. And so I said, Oh, okay, God, 10 years. I think he kind of laughed at me because like, you know, just with good discipline, you can do that in 10 years. Um, But I think he was, he was wanting more of an aggressive time frame. So I said, okay, uh, we'll go for five years.
2: When we decided that we were going to pay off our mortgage, um, the first thing we did was begin to have monthly um, consistent budget meetings. And those budget meetings were really hard, um, especially at the beginning, because we had different values and we wanted to spend money on different things. So it was hard for us. It took us a while to get on the same page, but after communicating with each other, um, they became easier and easier. And as the budget meetings became easier, um, paying off our mortgage became easier because we were able to really focus on the same goal.
0: We found extra money somehow, you know, And so every, every tax return that we would see, we would pretend like it didn't actually come in the mail. We would just give uh, part of that money, we would tithe, and then we would just put it to the mortgage. Um, any additional money that we saw, uh, for, for any reason, either bonus or raise or gift or anything that we saw, we just pretended like we didn't see it, uh, we gave from it, and then we would, we would put it towards the mortgage. And we did that for um, years, we did that for years. So we started this in 2008. And in um, January of uh, 2012, we made our last payment and then we were free and clear on our house.
2: We didn't eat out a lot. We weren't taking a lot of vacations and things like that. Um, And so those times of saying no were hard. Um, But in this whole process, you know, at the end, you know, we were in a really good place financially, but it also brought us to a really good place spiritually because in that, journey that we were taking it wasn't just a financial journey it was a spiritual journey i realized that in hindsight that god was really working on my heart to deal with the pride and the greed and the impatience and the lack of discipline at the end of all this um, not only were we really blessed to find ourselves in a place of financial freedom but we had a lot more going for us in our marriage um, relationship and in our relationship with the lord
0: not having a mortgage payment not having a house payment um, is just it's a great feeling. <laughs> it's an awesome feeling.
2: We really had a vision for um, adoption, for um, really being able to give generously and abundantly. Um, that's something that we couldn't do when we had that um, a mortgage payment. And also, we just wanted to leave a legacy for our children of financial freedom.
0: We did it all through following the principles that God gives us for finances. Um, and also, he just poured out his blessing on us. We can't give enough credit to him because It really was incredible. It was an incredible experience, and uh, our family has benefited. Our legacies of our children have been uh, changed, and it's just incredible to put God's principles in action with your finances.
1: So take whatever the excuses you tell yourself By the age of 30, on a single family income that was ministry support, in other words, he's a missionary, making less than the person who preached the sermon that inspired him, totally debt-free. Nothing. Not one bill in terms of debt. Whatever it is you think you can't do with whatever amount of money it is you have, talk to that guy. He can give you some advice. Pretty amazing story. And it's because they chose to put God's ways first. I want to shift gears for another area of our lives where we need to simply put God's ways first. And that's at the very beginning of realizing that what we talked about in communion, we have a perfectly holy God and we are not perfectly holy people. And since we could never be perfectly holy, God has provided the way that Jesus died on the cross, that his life, his blood, And his body were shed for us so that we would have that life, that we would be able to embrace what God wants for us. And so if you have never made that exchange, I want to help you make that here this morning where you acknowledge the beginning of putting God's ways first in your life is simply putting God in your life. You no longer come to church because a friend drug you there, or just because your parents drag you there, or even because it's your own routine, you just feel like you're checking a box and feel better about yourself. But you and God have have nothing. Let's do something about that today. If you've never done that, let me help you do that here this morning. It's not embarrassing. We're just going to pray right where you're seated. Would everybody pray with me? Pray something like this to yourself and to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love, for your mercy for your forgiveness I thank you for paying a debt that I could never pay I thank you for making a way for me to have fellowship with a perfectly holy God and now I have one simple prayer in this place today and that is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. If you would, stand with me. We're going to close out
0: by Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at GracelifeChurch.